certainly a universal experience. And, um, and so I just wrote a, a, a few thoughts here. And, and again, um, Roheiser, he, he wrote a meditation on this. I can't find the title, of, but it's really great. And I borrowed heavily uh, from him and his comments. And, and of course, Richard Rohr talks a lot about what we do with our pain. And, and as he says, all healthy religion shows us what to do with our, our suffering and our pain. And I think about how often how we um, religion can be not healthy and it, it we just ignore it. Like Makuya was saying, we ignore it or deny it or say, do this and this and this, and you'll never experience it. And, and we just say, okay, what do we do? And then we just feel a lot of guilt or shame when we do have that, that, that pain and suffering in our life. Well, last week, uh, I was just kind of reminded of this. Uh, uh, I, our son, Ro, he's been running since the sixth grade, and he's now like 24 years old in his final year of college. So he's been running for over 13 years. And we always go to his races, and we don't get to see him too often since he's in Iowa. So I went back uh, to Sioux City you know, to see him run in possibly his last cross-country race, depending on how he did, if he'd advance on to nationals or not. And so I drove to Orange City, Iowa, and I could do a, a lot of sermons on Orange City, Iowa as well. It's a home of a large tulip festival, and also the Dutch Reformed Church has a large presence there. And there's a church on every corner. And it's a town of about 6,000 people, and I didn't see one piece of trash or one weed in the whole town. So uh, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot going on there that I have to think about. But anyway, it's a beautiful place still. And um, it was just a very crisp fall day. Uh, the sun was out, and the leaves were just kind of, the fallen leaves were just dancing across all the fields there. And at the very start of this eight-kilometer race, uh, Roe went out with the lead pack with about 12 other guys. And I found a spot on the course because they always do these little circuits uh, around this course for about four point, I think it's 4.91 miles is eight kilometers. And at the start of the race, after about half a mile or a mile, he, he looked very strong and healthy and, and just the epitome of youth. And as he went by me, you know, you're right next to the runners there as they pass by. I yelled, go row, you know, go row. And he just kind of nodded a, a little acknowledgement to me. Then they kind of disappear on the course. And he showed up with the, the lead pack after about two miles. And he was still running with them. And he was very comfortable as he ran along. And as he went by me, I wanted to say something that might be unique to him and to me. So we're in the middle of Iowa here. And I yelled out, La Plata Mountains. <laughs> and so he, he heard me and smiled and, and he just continued on with the race. Well, I was in that same spot. So he came around where I shouldn't say after three miles, <clears throat> the lead pack came by again and Roe wasn't with them. And I thought, uh-oh, something happened here. And they were moving up this, not a steep hill, but a long hill. Which, is, which can seem pretty steep when you're running. So they're moving up this long hill. And I looked down at the bottom of the hill and I could see Roe. And he was just slowly, I mean, agonizingly crawling up this hill. He was still running, but just barely moving. And as he came closer to me, I could see the intense pain in his face. And it was like he was running in, in knee deep, water. 
and runners were passing him on the left and, and on the right. It was almost like he was standing still. And just looking at him and looking at his pace, I thought, he's done. Something happened and he's finished. And at that point, I was just wondering, is he even going to finish the race? And it just broke my heart to see him and just struggling so much. And at the end of the race, right before the finish line, uh, he Roe fell down in exhaustion and, and pain and, and probably also disappointment. And the runners just continued to pass him by. And he barely finished the race. He got up and he did finish. So. And so he was devastated, heartbroken. And I didn't, he said, I didn't know what happened out there. He goes, my legs just felt like lead. He goes, I couldn't move. And nothing's harder for a parent than to see their kids in pain and to not be able to fix it or to rescue them. So this was his last race and it, it didn't uh, end well for him, this last cross country race. And Father Rollheiser says, all of us know the feeling of standing within a situation and being powerless at least, and that we are helpless to change anything practically. So what can we do in a situation where it seems that anything that we say or do will only make things worse? What do we do? And I was thinking back uh, to my first experience of this, and it was the, the summer of my freshman year in high school. And two of our class late classmates, uh, Rob and Joe, and Rob was uh, a neighbor of ours, they died tragically in a, a swimming accident in Wyoming there on a wheat harvest. And I remember going over to Rob's house to see his parents and his siblings, and then also to Joe's house as well. And the heaviness in their rooms was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And to see that, that deep pain on their parents' faces, it was almost unbearable. And I didn't know what to say <clears throat> or what to do. And I felt helpless. So what do we say or do when a friend loses their life? How do we respond to those who remain, those loved ones, their parents or their siblings? What do we do when a doctor diagnoses uh, someone who's dear to us or a loved one with a terminal illness or a very serious illness? How do we step out of a mean-spirited argument that just continues on? And how do we get out of that? And what do we do or say when we are personally wounded, physically, emotionally, or even spiritually? Because Jesus says that there's going to be pain in the offering, that there will be suffering in life. And even the Buddha said, said suffering is part of life. Rollheiser says, what can we do in these situations? And his answer is quite often, nothing. There's nothing we can do, or at least so it seems. But he says, perhaps nothing is enough. And we can see the prototype of just standing still and doing nothing in Mary while she stands at the foot of the cross. Mary did not say a single word. We kind of have to pause and think about the tremendous pain 
and sorrow that she was in. She didn't say a single word, not because she did not want to protest, because there wasn't anything that she could have said at that moment that would have made any difference. This is what Rollheiser says. There was nothing she could do to stop the crucifixion. And she's not protesting to the bystanders. She's not trying to explain her view of things. She's powerless and she's silent. But a lot is going on in that silence. And all she can do is ponder. And Rollheiser says to ponder is to hold the tension, to stand amidst the hatred, the bigotry, and the violence. And in that silence, to try to gestate the opposite of what's going on, understanding, compassion, and love, to try to let that permeate the moment. And when you think about Mary standing at the foot of the cross in her silence, is this fruitful and is this transformative or is it just quiet resignation on her behalf? And Father Rohr says, if we do not allow our pain and our suffering and our grief to transform us, we will most assuredly transmit it. And usually we do this to those who are closest to us. We transmit our pain or our anger to our family members, our friends, our coworkers. And sadly, we often transmit it to those who are the most vulnerable in our population, our children. But Mary and Jesus show us a very different way to respond to the pain and the suffering and the grief and the injustice in life. They are very classic images of transformative spirituality, Rohr says. They do not return the hostility, the hatred, the accusations, or the malice that is directed at them. Instead, what they do is they hold the suffering until it becomes resurrection. I love that quote. They hold the suffering until it's transformed and becomes resurrection. And their wounds become sacred wounds. And they become what Henry Nuon calls wounded healers. And he invites all of us through our lives and the things that we endure and celebrate to become wounded healers as well. And how often do we, as individuals, as a community, as a nation, how often do we respond to anger with more anger? How often do we react to violence with more violence? And what is the result? It's just always escalating violence, a spiral that we struggle to get out of. But Mary shows a different way. She stands silently in the middle of all that anger and violence of that crucifixion. And she stands in love, in compassion, not in resignation. She is a figure of courage, and she's pointing us to a different way. How do we stand in the face of our sorrow, our anger, or injustice? Do we truly believe in a God of love and peace and forgiveness and reconciliation? Or do we believe more 
in a God of revenge, in retribution, in hate. And Mary stands in great love and also in sadness. She stands in compassion and heartbreak. And she stands at the foot of the cross silently. And while she's there, even Jesus models how we transform that energy. And he says, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And Mary and Jesus do not perpetuate the cycle of hate and violence. <clears throat> and they're rooted in the love and the grace of God. And Martin Luther King Jr. just modeled this so perfectly in the civil rights movement and all those people who were part of it as well. And he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And when we ponder, when we stand in silence, rooted in that love, we create space for transformation to happen. Rollheiser says, we wait for our hearts to do something that action cannot do, namely transmute misunderstanding to understanding, confusion into insight, anger into blessing, and hatred into love, and sorrow into joy. That happens just by standing in that peace, in that silence. Because sometimes there's nothing to be done, but nothing can be enough as it was for Mary under the cross. She's changing the energy, just as Jesus is as well. When I think back to, to last Saturday in that cross country I meet, went to and Roe was just absolutely devastated by, by what happened during that race. And we were riding together in the silence as the sun was setting. And after a while, he said to me, he said, Dad, he goes, I'm going to be all right. He said, it was just a race. I thought that was pretty good for a young man. It was just a race. <laughs> he goes, you remember the last time I died in a race and it was his senior year at a cross-country meet and he barely finished? He goes, I was a wreck for weeks. He goes, that was just a race as well. He goes, I'm going to be okay. And we talked all about the joys and the sorrows that he's been through over the last 13 years running and all the different people and coaches he's, he's been with. And it got to be more of that, that celebration that you were talking about, Brad, just remembering all the good times. And Rose said, I think running has taught me a lot about dealing with all the highs and all the lows in life. And I said, yes, it does. And I wish I could have told Roe at that moment that faltering badly in a race was going to be the worst thing that he would ever experience in his life. <laughs> but it doesn't even come close, not even close. But maybe it gives him a little sampling that there is pain and suffering and grief, but there's also a way through the pain and the grief. And Mary, models this perfectly for us. She stands in silence and that grace transforms her. The grace that we find in silence shows us a way through our pain 
and it transforms us. And I believe it also starts changing the world one person at a time. Amen.